Welcome to the 90th Percentile, an unconventional leadership podcast. I'm Brianna Corin, and this week we are doing something a little different on this bonus episode. In honor of Joe Folkman's latest book, The Trifecta of Trust, The Proven Formula for Building and Restoring Trust, which is now available wherever you buy books, we wanted to give you a little taste of it. So we are playing the introduction, read by Joe Folkman himself, from the audiobook that will be out in July. Thanks for tuning in, and if you're interested in getting a copy of your book today, there is a link in the episode details. As always, thanks for listening in and being a part of this great community. Introduction Learning to trust is one of life's most difficult tasks, Isaac Watts. In 1429, France was in the thick of a hundred years' war with the English. Paris had already been taken and King Charles VII had been exiled. Hope was lost, and it would take a miracle for the French to keep their land. That miracle manifested in the scrawny form of a teenage girl illegally dressed as a man who claimed angels were speaking to her, commanding her to save her people. She had no training. She was the wrong gender. She was too young. Yet, with no record of any questioning of her leadership, she led an army of hardened, exhausted soldiers into Orleans and took back the city from the English. Stories of her powerful influence were recorded detailing her troop's celebration over her arrival on the day of the battle. With her at the helm, they were willing to go anywhere. The army, once in despair and discouraged, redoubled their efforts and would often end the day victorious. Historians account that military finances also improved under her leadership and people genuinely believed in the cause they were fighting for. Within a year of the Orleans victory, she managed to return Charles VII to the throne and was an important presence at the coronation. No small feat for a peasant girl from the country. The war continued, and she continued to fight until she was captured by the English and burned at the stake for her heresy, dressing like a man, and witchcraft. After her death, King Charles VII declared her a martyr for the cause, and she has remained a symbol of hope for the French people until this day. In 1920, she was officially canonized by the Catholic Church and is revered as a patron saint of France. You can even see a shrine dedicated to her in the Notre Dame Cathedral. Joan of Arc would not have accomplished anything if her troops did not trust her. She would have just been a person yelling at the top of her lungs at a bunch of people. But her troops did trust her. They trusted her with their lives, with their king and their country. The exiled king trusted her, even appointed her to a military position. He believed her stories of divine revelation after having theologians test her, deeming her consistent in her purity, chastity, and piety. Her victory in Orleans proved to the country that she was a good leader, allowing her to continue leading. She lost some battles, but her troops never lost hope with her at their lead until her eventual capture. 
On the other side of the globe, Abraham Lincoln led the United States through its darkest hour, a fissure that looked as if it would never heal. Tall and soft-spoken, he failed many times politically and financially before winning the presidency, but those loyal to the Union trusted him. He effected huge change. He led a country through a war that killed more Americans than any other conflict before and after, enacted the Emancipation Proclamation, effectively freeing thousands of slaves, and then united the South and the North into a coherent whole, despite major trauma and cultural frustration. We revere him to this day for his leadership, his unwavering dedication to the Union. Politicians on both sides of the aisle seek to emulate him and be positively compared to him, and he is considered one of the greatest presidents of all time. Both Joan of Arc and Abraham Lincoln led masses of people through incomparable fear, loss, and change while managing to keep their reputations unsullied. Of course, both of these heroes made mistakes but they were easily forgiven in the moment and even now as history looks fondly on them. We forgive them easily because we already love them. We trust their intentions and we are determined to honor their legacies. Most of us are not in the middle of uniting America or saving our entire country from a 15th century foe. Our battle is the office and our soldiers are our employees. We have all heard the metaphor a trillion times, but it remains relevant. These are uncertain times, ongoing economic crisis, new and unsurmountable health risks, technology advances that upend our systems and processes, new laws and expectations. The very fabric of our world continues to change at a faster and faster rate. Within our office walls, each of us experiencing immense amounts of stress and anxiety in addition to our daily obligations. We need leaders who can lead people through these complications. In fact, we actually need to be those leaders. Becoming an effective leader requires trust. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how revolutionary your ideas are but it does matter if your people trust you. You need generals and infantry to wage any battle, and these people must invest significant amounts of trust to risk their lives or careers to follow your lead. Earning, building, and maintaining that trust is a critical part of any leader's arsenal. We all have felt trusted by others, and to our chagrin, we have also felt moments when we were not trusted. We can relate to experiences when someone we did not know well was trying to sell us something and the thought crossed our mind, do I trust this person enough to give them my money? We also might have bought something and in looking back realized that it was a huge mistake. Accumulating these experiences, most people form theories about trust. These theories answer basic questions who can and who cannot be trusted? How can you get others to trust you? What can you do to rebuild trust that is lost? These theories are all what I call observational theories. Jerry Seinfeld is the master of observational humor. 
He looks at everyday experiences we all have in our lives and then points out how strange or odd these experiences are when examined closely. His comedy is unique and relatable to everyone. For example, he says, one thing that makes us all feel safe and connected today is a rectangular object in our pockets, a mobile phone. Our mobile phones were designed to stay connected to other people in our lives, but no one talks on them anymore because they prefer social media, games, texting, and scrolling mindlessly. In some ways, observational theories are theories based on personal experiences. They feel relatable, but they might not actually be accurate. Some are excellent descriptions of what is actually happening, but others are entirely wrong. Many people do use cell phones to stay connected and talk to their friends even more than they would have without them. Access to social media can actually build community. Although Jerry Seinfeld's observational humor feels true, it might not actually be a good representation of what is going on around us. The vast majority of books on trust are observational. When we read them, they make a lot of sense, and in fact, they are full of common sense. But there is no way to know if it is excellent wisdom or worthless nonsense. There's no statistical backing or documentation or anthropological patterns that we can point to in order to justify those findings. It's just a bunch of hearsay. This book is based on analysis of data. Rather than asking you to believe in my observational expertise, my goal is to show you the results that provide evidence of the impact of different behaviors on trust. I'm going to give you actual patterns and numbers that you can rely on. There are a lot of numbers and percentiles and graphs in this book, but I invite you to remember that these numbers are people. They represent leaders working in the mining industry in Canada and the biotech and educational institutions across Europe and in agriculture and manufacturing industries in Mexico and in banking and finance enterprises in the United States. The data collected represents thousands of organizations in various places across the world. Yes, it is a number. But that number represents the collective human experience and struggle of leaders to build and maintain trust. While there could be hundreds of behaviors that impact trust, just three can account for the vast difference in the impact individuals have with high levels of trust and those who are not trusted at all. These are the core behaviors that create and reinforce trust from others. Displaying expertise and good judgment that comes with it. Number one. Number two, displaying consistency. And number three, building relationships. These three pillars support the foundation of trust regardless of culture, industry, race, or gender. It's hard to describe the remarkable impact that comes when a person is trusted or when the trust that was lost has been restored. The connection of trust binds people together, not just for a job assignment, but for a lifetime. Through these statistics and examples, I hope to illustrate the impact of trust and a clear path for you to follow. 
Improving trust with others will help you become more successful, loved, appreciated, and valued.